Signs of the Southland, Sunday, August 8th, 2021. Mr. Grant, you've uh, something very special written about your church here to start us off. Yeah, uh, I don't often get surprised when I learn tech things these days. Maybe I'm old and jaded, but wow! Uh, today, I, today I learned that Bobby Dodd went there and was an elder, so that was fun, and I was not expecting that. At a young, crisp 23, not surprised by anything Georgia Tech-related anymore. Uh, nah, that's, that's an overstatement, but I mean, it, it was still a nice little tie, and they said he used to have to leave early slightly uh so that way he wouldn't get mobbed asking questioning commenting about the previous day's game uh which seems very understandable to me but yeah that that's what i got that's that's my fun fact of the day okay okay my fun fact of the day is not necessarily church related but i will contribute this nice little segue between our three episodes that are lined up Uh, Last week, this week, and next week. So to finish off the Olympics, uh, three of the U.S.'s last four gold medals were in men's basketball, which we talked about last week, women's basketball, which we're going to talk about today, and women's volleyball, which we'll talk about next week, I think. Whoa. How about that? Right there. How about that? Also... If you get a chance, go and watch the replay of the American women's volleyball gold medal game. It was very fun. It was also very late at night. I needed a lot of coffee this morning. Um, Yeah, it it was fun. I'm not going to spoil anything other than the fact that they won. But it was a very, very fun game. I, when I heard you about to implore people to do something in a call to action, I figure you were going to plug uh, season tickets, which just dropped this week as well, for anyone interested. Um, but uh, I think we shill enough for the, uh, for the uh, ticket department. Yeah, that's probably true. Also, it's probably important to uh, add the following disclaimer that both of us are standing season ticket holders for men's and women's basketball at Tech um we do not they are not free season tickets we definitely paid for them so we're not shilling for the uh, athletic association any more than we're advertising by doing these previews if anything we have literally no benefits from doing this podcast other than uh personal pride voices so (laughs) believe me i don't like listening to my own voice i never listen to this when i when i edit it so it's all about Slapping the intro and the outro on and uploading it. Well, I mean, there's no edits to make because we never make any mistakes. And with that, let's talk about men's basketball. High fidelity editing. It's women's basketball. I'm not, I'm not editing it. Every podcast is someone's first, Mr. Grant. Tell me about what women's basketball is. Uh, to quote a wise man, and I believe you wrote this, it's orange ball, orange hoop, uh, in the simplest, uh, why use many words when few words do trick. Uh, Thanks, Kevin. A lot like men's basketball, the goal is to put the orange ball through the orange circle and score more points than the other team. Uh, you can do that in combinations of two and three, and sometimes one, uh, if someone else does something bad to you. How's that? Fine. Uh, I think it's also important to note that if I remember correctly, the three-point line is still different from the men's game. Um, And then the hoop height is also different from the men's game. I think the hoop height for the women's game is at eight feet, while the men's is still at 10. Uh, And then on the women's side for the three-point line, I think the the college men's game now uses the NBA three-point line, while the women are still a bit out from that. Although that, that may have changed recently. The hoop's 10 feet for, for the men and the women, uh, as mm. well as FIBA, as well as NBA. That one's pretty standard. But That uh, might be a WNBA to NBA difference then that I'm thinking of. Nope, it's WNBA as well. Um, okay, well, maybe I'm... <laughs> tinkering with the lines, though, so you're not off on that. That's the... I, it's hard to keep track of, of where the, the paint is moving around. But, uh, you know, the less they do that, the less we have to tear up our court. So 
Oh, let me tell you, there was a, if you remember that one season where the dream were playing uh, at tech during the spring. And if you ever watched a dream game, the hardwood was awful to look at it because they overlaid some of the dreams graphics or their stick, like their hardwood stickers on the court and none of it matched. And you also had the WNBA three point line and the college, like the women's college three point line. And then the men's college three point line all on the same court. It was awful. It was just, it was just an abomination to look at the dream. were good that season though. So yeah, they were in the playoffs one of the years they were there, but also, uh, I think we alluded to volleyball not playing playoff games at McCamish anymore. But imagine if they had that in the middle, too, because there are a fair amount of schools that play with volleyball lines on the basketball court. I have a headache. Uh, back have... South Dakota, I think we played a game there, and they had, they had their lines, like, painted down on the court. I will, so, say as, I will say as a soccer connoisseur um, of a certain sort, I like it when sports have their own – uh single purpose facilities um volleyball especially deserves its own single purpose facility because uh hold season tickets at mercedes-benz stadium a noted noted sports stadium these days uh, it soccer shouldn't be played on turf that's that that's all i'm gonna say it should be played on grass um, we need to move on. We need to talk about who we need to talk about basketball. I'm going to keep the uh, baseball dirt on gridirons in my back pocket, and we can talk about other notables before we move on to the champions stru- championship structure. Uh, if you guys want the nitty gritty on the history of McCamish, I think we did 15 minutes on that. We did well over 15 minutes. Don't get don't don't sell us short. Well uh, over 15 minutes on just. The important thing to note here, though, is uh, it was opened in, in the 50s uh, as a replacement for Heisman Gym, which then went on to live a long and illustrious life as the home of other stuff uh, before getting raised. Um, it was Alexander's White Whale. Uh, it was renovated in 2011, 2012, and renamed after Hank McCamish. Uh, they still play there, and they also have a lot of other uh, random institute stuff like Capstone and things like that and career fairs. So moving on. Actually, championship structure. Actually, before we head on the championship structure, one thing that we didn't note last week is that the practice facilities for both the men's and women's basketball teams are at uh, Zelnak, Zelnak basketball facility, which is right next door to McCamish. Uh, it's a nice facility. They, I think the women's team recently got their locker room and meeting space and all that stuff renovated within the last year. Yep. Um I think the men's renovation is scheduled for the next couple of years. So that's also coming. Um, but, but yeah, it's a nice little facility. Kobe Bryant uh, practiced there once. That's all I got. I've, uh, I've never actually been back there. I've been in, in most of the athletic facilities. Um, I don't think, I don't think Zelnak is open to the public, but it was used. It, I entered through there for graduation. Ah, when I graduated, when when graduation wasn't in Bobby Dodd Stadium, I didn't mind the Bobby Dodd Stadium move. It was a little little empty with how big it was, but and, and it was hot. Even, yes, it was very hot. But oh well. Um, in terms of other stuff, championship structure, All very right. similar to men, but without the money making ploy of four extra first round games. Uh, why those exist for the men and not the women? I don't know. The I mean, says money and sexism, uh, which is probably a reasonable answer, unless you got something else. I don't really have a better answer than that. It's definitely a, it's definitely a NCAA kind of doesn't value its product kind of deal. Um, I think this is an important place to bring up the NCAA gender equality and basketball report that was done and released last week, I think. Um, which noted that the women's basketball tournament is drastically undervalued. So uh, we talked about media rights a couple weeks ago, but uh, one, one of the things that is weird about the way that the NCAA does its, uh, does its uh, postseason structure when it comes to media rights is that the men's basketball tournament, the one that really makes the chimichangas, 
is sold is bid on and sold separately from the rest of the other like 34 division one championships. So the men's basketball tournament that obviously goes to Turner, CBS, Viacom, like owns all of that. Um, they produce all of that and put that on true TV, TNT, um, CBS and TBS. So that's the men's tournament, but ESPN bought the rights to every other um, every other uh, NCAA Division I championship, including the women's basketball tournament. This is fine at a certain level, but you have to realize because well, it's, it's fine in terms of, you know, centralizing them, but you can also, you know, there's a whole argument about media centralization and monopsony that we don't need to go to, into. But the problem here that the report found, and I think both of us agree with, is that because the women's basketball tournament rights are being bundled without real, they're not being properly valued. ESPN is paying some like absurdly cheap fee for the rights to the other 34 championships. Whereas I think the number that the gender equity report quoted for the women's tournament, women's basketball tournament alone was something North of a hundred million dollars. So and I think ESPN is paying well below $100 million for the lot. So, yeah, it, and that's just for the women's basketball. And, and <laughs> this is where the uh, – It's a slippery slope from there in terms of prices. Oh, oh, for sure. And, and yeah, sure, softball and, and to a lesser extent baseball, but definitely softball coverage has been pretty outstanding for the most part. But, again, undervalued if that's being lumped into women's basketball. I don't think swimming was even on – any of the main over-the-air networks, even though it was only on streaming. Yeah, because it's been on ESPNU or ESPN2 most of the last few years, uh, men's and women's. Um, And and it's just, it's a shame. Like women's basketball, again, we'll we'll dive more into this um, as we get into it, but it's quite a compelling product. And and frankly, a, a lot of this stuff are like, you don't hear enough about. Yeah, it's a shame. Or or whatever, but. You know, uh, especially at Tech Now with this team on the upswing. We want to watch and consume. Consume product. Uh, Jokes aside, um, it's a really compelling sport product. And it has its issues with parity. But at the same time, I think a lot of the traditional powers have started to decline. Um, it's, It's a very interesting product. I encourage people to watch it it's just it's being i I would go ahead and read that the ncaa report the gender equity report it's a very interesting report Uh, it makes a lot a lot of really good points um and it really (laughs) begs the question as to why uh you know media centralization and monopsony in the sports media market is bad this is again a theme of the last month whether it's the Olympics, the SEC uh, realignment nonsense, or the gender equity, like that, whether it's NBC or ESPN holding all the levers of power, or, or Turner with the the revenue ad uh, ad sales stuff in the NCAA, like oh yeah, there's a there's a lot we can unpack here. That's probably a topic for a completely different. Uh, it's also a topic for a completely different podcast, not just a different podcast episode. I'm sure. Split Zone Duo has like an entire solo Stephen Godfrey episode on this. Or, or Matt Brown or, you know, there's there's plenty of content out there. By smarter people than us. That, by smarter people than us that talk about sports other than football. And I, I encourage finding, finding the product that really hits the holistic picture. Because at the end of the day, the reason we love college athletics, the reason college athletics exists are for that holistic broad based like the, the, we have a women's basketball team for a reason and we should we should probably talk about them too but <laughs> yeah we should probably get back to talking about them by uh talking about their history do tell me yeah um so women's basketball it's fitting is the oldest program at georgia tech um jim culpepper who is the uh, equivalent of uh the club sports intramural sports director um nowadays um was approached by several women who basically said we want more than an intramural team uh, in 1973 uh culpepper and the women you know they they 
talked about it. They went to it and they went to the athletic department and they said, hey, Mr. Athletic Director, Mr. Bobby Dodd, uh, who seems to be the man of the day today, um, can we have a team? It's kind of sexist that we don't. Title IX has been a thing for a while. And not only did Tech not have any women's sports yet, uh, after several years of the law existing, the the folktale, the the story through the grapevine, ramblerec.com feature had somebody quoted as saying this, that Bobby Dodd had never heard of Title IX. So uh, yeah, it's it's good they had that ace in the hole because uh, definitely people in the, in the halls of power didn't really know it existed. They didn't really have a ton of support. Um, and uh, yeah, it was kind of a miracle they had a season at all that first year playing in a basically all Georgia league. They scrounged up some uniforms and went six and 16, despite not being able to play in either Alexander Memorial or the Heisman gym, uh, which were the du jour home of men's basketball and a lot of uh, the athletic type uh, activities for training, as well as gymnastics for the Heisman gym. Weirdly enough, uh, men's gymnastics, not a lot on them, but uh, they, I keep running into mentions of them. Go figure, they existed, uh, but they were the reason that they could not uh, play in the Heisman gym. Anyways, um, kind of bottomed out after that for a while. Um, eventually, the transition to Division One basketball was made. Georgia Tech, um, I guess, kind of hit its zenith in the 90s, which I don't know if that's fair to say, but they did win a uh, women's NIT title. Uh, again, early 2000s, uh, pretty regular NCAA contributor or uh, contestant uh, and then a little bit of a doldrums after that, even though it seemed like they were basically on the cusp or projected as a bubble team most of the last, well, decade or half decade since they made it in 2014, uh, came close in, in 2018, 2019, uh, 2020. They probably would have been in before, uh, you know, COVID. And uh, yeah, the last few years under Nell Fortner, we can definitely dive more into that. But really only the sixth true head coach Georgia Tech has had um, with some pretty long tenures in there. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't know. They, they don't have any ACC titles. They don't have NCAA titles, but, um, in terms of finishes, a couple of sweet 16s, including last year. I, th I think it's also important to talk about the dominant powers in the ACC also, like, women's basketball is not a particularly is just not a sport particularly obsessed with parody um it never has been it's definitely been something that uh some schools have invested in drastically more than others um i i think tech is tech is a pretty admirable level of investment in the program um but it's it's i think the best way that we can sort of juxtapose where tech is at in terms of the national landscape is that 2012 national or NCAA tournament run where they made it, I think to the sweet 16 and then ran into Baylor. Gr Brittany Griner led Baylor. Yeah. Um, that'll, uh, that'll do it to you. Um, so that's, that's been a factor as well, both at the conference and the, uh, conference and the national level that that's been some of the factors uh not necessarily inhibiting growth but that's that's the context that tech women's basketball lives in yeah um i think that's pretty pretty important to dive into i almost said like oh but nc state this year not a historic power well actually they've won <laughs> or they've made the tournament 29 times since 1978 um have a i guess sextet yes six conference championships including the last two so i guess somewhat of a rebounding power um obviously the, the addition of louisville to the conference big upgrade there the addition of Notre dame that's a traditional power maryland before they left was pretty consistent adding syracuse who's been pretty consistent it's been you know more of a conversation to get into the top five or six in the conference the last eight ish years than like just to finish that high I mean, record has been. And I mean, if you been. look at, if you look at when tech sort of trailed off, they made that last tournament, that was 2014, right? That was a year in after realignment. And I think a year before Notre Dame made the jump over to the ACC. 
uh, yep. for all of its non-revenue sports. So if you're saying that the ACC is on average like a five or six bit league and tech is that six or seven slot in the conference, it kind of, it kind of informs why tech has had so much trouble in the intervening six or seven years to make that jump into the tournament field. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I pulled up the table of titles uh, for the, uh, for the ACC Maryland at the top, North Carolina with almost 10, you got Duke, NC state, and then Notre Dame, uh, Virginia a while back, but Notre Dame, Louisville, NC state, Florida state's been a really solid team runner up a couple times recently. Again, uh, we can we can talk about the state of the conference as a whole for what it looks like next year, but just the the past perspective has been really not easy for um, say a school that hasn't I guess explicitly invested in in women's basketball becoming a power. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, mm-hmm. um, talking about the usual schedule for the team, um, it's a sixteen game ACC schedule. The rest of it is non-conference games there's usually the one athens game um sometimes there's a tournament i don't think there was one last year but i think the year before it might have been a maui tournament or that might have been the men cancun i think cancun bahamas i've seen recently. bahamas was bahamas was the 2019 one i think there was one in like west palm beach or something like that usually they get somewhere sunny yeah uh, usually they have uh, somewhere because it, it's during the winter. So obviously they just basically go on a nice snowbirdy vacation. Um, this year's big note is that the non-con includes a uh, visit from Yukon. Uh, that is on December 9th, I think either December 9th or December 2nd. I don't have the date in front of me. Um, and that's a home game. And I think it ends up being a home and home. Um, but I didn't see a return date in the original announcement. Um, and then the ACC Big Ten Challenge is back uh, for 2021, and that would be at Purdue this year. So yeah. it, it's – I think the way that – we've historically criticized the men's scheduling because historically it has been – not as strong as it could be. I think 2020, 2021, they had a pretty, um, pretty strong schedule uh, at, at the onset, but that ended up being a bit of a, um, I don't know, like a not false flag, but just a false positive kind of the facade, if you will, especially as Kentucky slipped late in the year. Um, and some of the other teams that we've played just had really bad seasons, but on the women's side, I think the scheduling is typically pretty consistent. It, it's um, usually, I mean, this is an exceptional year. I think adding UConn really, really bumps up the the uh, the, the strength of the schedule here. Um, well, we obviously, really, we don't even really know what the rest of the schedule is yet. At least I haven't. I haven't seen anything released. Well, I, I mean, we're going to talk about the rest of the conference uh, in a bit. And also, e- even if you just look at the the what you know of the schedule, we, we're going to talk about the conference oh, yeah, in a bit. Sure. We're going to talk about the conference in a bit, like I've now said three times. Um, Athens was a really good program in the tournament last year, um, for better or for worse. I don't really like admitting that. Um, UConn is obviously on there. And then you're getting Purdue, which you can take that for what it is. I, I think you would know be able to speak more about Purdue than I would, but playing a big 10 team um, is still going to be some level of challenge. Uh, so yep. it's, it's compelling. It's not a year in which you're playing, you know, uh, little brothers of the poor or something like that. Right. Yeah. So it, I think it should be, it should be a really uh, challenging sounds bad, but I, it's, it's a good thing, right? You need a high strength of schedule in order to get yourself in that conversation, uh, in the RPI and net conversation. Oh, yeah. And, and, and even then, last year, we had a pretty relatively strong schedule. Uh, our RPI stayed pretty high most of the year. I know it was a little bit different with net. Um, don't remember off the top of my head some of these numbers. But uh, the metrics have really liked how we've been scheduling the last uh, last pair of years. So not, not too concerned about that. But... I think the bigger thing to complement that is not only do you want to schedule well, and obviously just being in the ACC, we get 
some very good competition. Plus we'll, we'll see UGA, we'll see UConn, et cetera, et cetera. But everyone's coming back from a team that got its first real taste of postseason play in, in, in quite a long time. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I mean, so- we just added players. I mean, we added like three or four freshmen. There were two transfers, I think, but for the, we had McQueen say, or not McQueen, sorry. Kira Fletcher said she was coming back. Laura Kobay is coming back. Those are the two major contributors from last year. Um, I didn't actually see any other graduates on the list. So those might just be it for, you know, supposed departures. I mean, most, most of our starting lineups back, what, what more, more can you ask for? Um, and even players like Sarah Bates, who went out with a, uh, uh, season end, season ending injury uh, in the middle of the season. That's like getting a whole new player back, you know? Cause like, yeah, they made the sweet 16. Yeah. Their, their uh, ability to space the floor really dropped after, after she went out because she's a legitimate uh, three shooting threat. And one of our more consistent uh, or at least having on the floor is a very consistent uh, spot beyond the line. Having that back is, well, if, if you went X far in the tournament without her, and X far in the ACC tournament without her and, and played well, like, yeah, somebody's going to lose some playing time, but at the same time, you're getting back a, a, a skilled player. And, and, and again, at the same time, somebody who's been in the program a really long time, it's not mm-hmm. like you're adding a freshman or, well, she was transfer at one point, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's somebody who's been around somebody who experienced all that with the team too. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you touched on something uh, that was a Achilles heel for this program last season it's they really had trouble when uh when they ran kubai and narea hermosa in the post they really had trouble spacing the floor making space and passing and cutting uh when teams focused on that post because the whole offense at a certain level was designed to pass and cut and pass and cut find hermosa or kubai right next to the basket and walk it in and, uh, and when those weren't falling too, when that was a thing, whoo, there yeah, was, and- uh, there was an icy skid against uh, Stephen F. Austin in, in the first part of the playoffs where, or, sorry, the tournament, whatever. The playoffs. Uh, <laughs> I, I sound like a noob, but it's fine. Um, an icy skid where it's like, shoot, like we're going to get run out of the building by a 12 seed, you know, like that's not, <laughs> that's not what you want to see, but that, Hey, when the offense works, it works. When it doesn't, it doesn't. You saw, um, uh, again, to, to toss one out there, Clemson beating them in our own building took quite a fair bit of heroics because for a while, with, if you have your the Akshay's patented third quarter nap or whenever that nap comes, you then have to dig yourself out of that hole. And, and I think the difference too is compared to a lot of past years, there was a lot more of the like, okay, yeah, like Lodemai's going to throw down some points. Loyal McQueen's going to you know, call her number. Uh, Lorella Kubai is just brutally effective when, when she's on in that post role. So, mm-hmm. it, And it's something that spacing the floor and point scoring ability is something that really became apparent, or, or I guess the, the weakness there really became apparent in that South Carolina Sweet 16 game, yep. right? Because it was a game, if you looked at it, even if you look at the final score, and look at some of the stats. It's a game. I, I'm not going to go so far as to say Tech could have won it, but it could have looked a lot more competitive had Tech had a little bit more of the scoring ability, had a little bit had been a little cleaner um, to keep pace. South Carolina was able to score in bunches, and whenever they, it, it, it's like watching Don Staley coach the U.S. Women's Olympic team for basketball. They score in bunches. Whenever you think you're close, they'll drop six more points and make that lead a, li- uh, a little wi- uh, wider. Yep. So that's that's an ability that Tech needs to develop, and I think having Sarah Bates back really helps in that regard because that takes the load uh, off of Lodamai Lottenen to be that, per- that permanent or that regular three-point threat now you have two three-point threats that can sort of park it uh up top and spread the ball around and move the defense around uh to make space for themselves yeah and and like to to an extent that's something we've needed to see 
like come in and get developed in the program. It's something Kira Fletcher has gotten better at as, as she's gotten older. The, the, the big like takeaway from the previous regime was this is built around big post presence. Uh, we're going to score a lot on the inside. So, you know, it, 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 it's taking, you know, going, going to recruit Sarah base from Kansas state or load developing from freshman, sophomore, and then junior, senior year, you know, like being able to say, Hey, like, you know, there, there's some aspects of this team that's always been really good. And that's lockdown defense or, or, or being, you know, able, able to really work it uh, with Lorella and, and Norea and, and, and whatnot. But, you know, that's a very one dimensional thing. And it, those dimensions don't get added overnight. And I think this team, the, uh, the RPI, the net and, and the voting too, really the, the coaches and the AP see this as a team that improved over the year. And I think that is very much something you could say, maybe, maybe they stumbled a little bit, a little bit at the end. February was re- really where they hit their stride, but, but in, in terms of steady progress and, you know, building out that experience, those dimensions, that the, the, the legitimate threats from three point, that is, that is something I think has really come a long way. And, and I think you're talking about February. I think that's where we saw a lack of depth really come into play for this, for this program, right? I, you're running a pretty short rotation lineup rotation. Um, and because you're focused on post play, you have Hermosa and Kubai playing a lot, a lot, a lot of minutes. Yep. Um, and that sort of that sort of came to roost in February where they kept having three-week games or three-game yep. weeks. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a lot of the COVID thing too. So maybe yeah. that probably won't translate to this year. That's, that's also true. That's an important ca- uh, caveat. But now they have some I, – I don't know if they have more or equivalent post-presence – um, in sort of the, the transfers that they brought in, but at the same time, um, they have more options uh, and, and we have the entire roster in front of us. It's what, yeah. four, 12, four, eight, 12, 14, 15, 15 players on this roster. That'll be cut to like a game day 12 or game day 10, something like that. I, I you have a ton more options. Uh, yeah. and, and you have a ton more options that you can trust, right? You're not just sticking a freshman into a high pressure situation uh, against Clemson only up by two points or something like that. Yep. Right. And you have, you have young players that you can not, that have game experience that have postseason experience now. Yeah. And, and I think just the way this team has been recruiting and, and selecting good transfers uh, we can we can dig more into the the Syracuse transfer uh, Dina Strutmain. I hope I pronounced that right. I know I did not though. Um, like the 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 recruiting has stayed high. It's not like this is a flash in the pan or the old system or, or whatever uh, concern you can paint onto it. Uh, again, it, it sounds weird. How much uh, how much of the same thoughts? I think we can kind of divine from the men's and the women's programs, but like the get old, stay old, the recruit well, the, but also work the portal. Um, we talked about like floor spacing and how the offense has changed. There's really no shortage of, of parallels you can draw. And, and again, I do this a little bit for people who may be more familiar with passengers program, but also to illustrate like, Hey, like this is kind of a, a common theme, I guess in, in basketball in general too. So yeah, it, and I think one of the things that you noted um, or, or was revealed during some of the postseason prep that we had done last year, or I guess in March, not necessarily last year, is that in a press conference, I think before the women's tournament, um, was it before the women's tournament? It was before both teams left for those tournaments. Passer mentioned that uh, in the interim between regimes before um, – Fortner was hired. Uh, and he started to a little like to get used to the team. Yeah. Passer actually helped out the, uh, coaching the women. And so there's this common thread, like you said, there's a common thread of that grit and grind that get old, that stay old, the, the working the post game. Um, it, it's, <laughs> we talk about it in terms of 
soccer a lot, building a consistent sporting culture from top to bottom on both sides of uh, not only the men's side, but also the women's side. It's something that you're seeing in soccer a lot when it comes to the development of women's academies, especially the Dutch have done a really good job of this with their men's and women's programs. They play the exact same way. They, they play the exact same system. They hire coaches that play the exact same system. And it's something that you're seeing here as well. Both teams train and they practice a common system, not necessarily by design in this case, but just by happenstance. But it's a really cool common thread to see in both programs. I was going to say, I wish I had, I had brainstormed some of these before we came on. And again, a lot of this is just coincidence or style or yeah it's not something that it's not something that's organized (laughs) it's just happenstance Mm -hmm. and and uh, i I don't know i think it's been very interesting Uh, as a tech fan i I think you could say the same thing for probably volleyball too where the women's uh basketball men's basketball volleyball you get that confidence that seniority and honestly the name recognition where, Hey, that guy or that gal coming off the bench. Oh, like, yeah, I know that they, they're a contributor. There's, you can expand that lineup. And and that's actually the thing that you said that made me, made me think of it was playing that short rotation when you're allowed to, or not allowed to, when you have the confidence to have that longer rotation, having, you know, uh, Hey, maybe Lorella Kabai doesn't need to play 40 minutes because now we have, uh, Nerea Hermosa, who's a, a effective there. You ha- you can trust Loyal McQueen or Kiara Fletcher or Lodemai. Maybe not. Uh, they're all your go-to because that would that almost certainly be Kiara Fletcher in almost every situation. But you know, there's there's reasonable alternatives, and and yeah, a, a lot of those names are probably on that short uh, that short rotation too. But having you know uh, transfers and freshmen that can come in and take minutes and get better, you know, it. it it's a rising tide lifts all ships moment, right? It's mm-hmm. one injury is not going to sink this team. And it didn't last year, right? Sarah Bates, even though the structure and the composition of the team and the offense and even the defense changed, they were still able to go to the sweet 16. They're a, a top a, a, by that logic, top 16 team in the country, probably underrated a little bit on most uh, uh, of the average non-tech fan media, whoever um, radar but it, it's a quality program that, quite frankly, didn't lose anything. <laughs> I, I would also, really on the injury front, they also started the season without Kira Fletcher, right? Yep. And, and that, and when she came back, it was almost seamless. I think we noted that in a couple episodes last year where she came back, she fit into the lineup really well and immediately started producing. Um, it was either uh, Aaliyah Love or... One of the other freshmen, shame on me. I should have looked it up before we started. Uh, that also was was dealing with an injury too. Um, I believe Boyd Love did not see a lot of time. Uh, but again, all really highly rated recruits. So it's not like it's not like they're not playing from lack of talent. It's it it's good when the bench is getting crowded. Mm-hmm. Again, we say, that, we say that two years after losing. Um, one of the best players in the history of the program to graduation and two very, very good freshmen uh, to the transfer portal. So mm-hmm. the fact that it, it's not an embarrassment of riches per se, but the cupboard is not empty and it's getting more full as we go. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's a bucket that you're just filling with water and it's overflowing, but you're still filling it with water. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, podcasting is a visual medium. You have to imagine that in your mind. The question is, do we adjust our expectations? What are the new ones? How, how did we feel going into last year? I, I think that's a good place to start where we talk about how we feel going into this year. So I think last year, the way that we were feeling is this is a tournament team because we saw it in 2020 that they had the ability to make the tournament. And then we saw it in 2019 where like three or four weeks before the end of the season, they were on the cusp of making the tournament. It's, I think now the tournament is the expectation. Getting into the field of 64 is the expectation. I think as an addendum to that, um, improving their ACC tournament finish, that's, the, that's another thing that I would note. Actually making it to the final um, would be another thing that I would put on that list. 
yeah. and then the Sweet 16 is is the cherry on top. I think making it to the Sweet 16 again is something that we can hope for. It's not a stretch goal per se, but it's like if we did this, then it was a really good season again. Um, yeah. I think if you string a couple of those together, then you're looking at you made the Sweet 16. The sport isn't necessarily all about parity, but can you, you know, one any given Sunday your way into the Elite Eight and, and so on and so forth. But making the Sweet 16 repeatedly isn't necessarily in, in women's basketball, given those concerns about parity, isn't necessarily a bad existence. There's what, 350 teams in the sport? Like, Get 351 deep division one men's basketball team, but I don't know about women's. So, so basically you're saying that you're in the top 0.5% and, and granted. Most do you do that math? Players. Is that why you took a pause to do that math right there? No. Um, but again, a lot of those teams aren't the rule, the, the, the measuring stick, right? Uh, uh, that pool basically shrinks to, you know, the, the Big East, the Power Five. But at the same time, it, it's a very good finish. And one thing I will say right now is the expectation or or the the narrative that we say of everyone coming back. We need to prepare for that. Will not be the case next year. Mm-hmm. This is Lorella Kubai's fifth year. This is Kara Fletcher's fifth year. So it's time to use that to make another great run. If, if Louisville and NC state are the one a and one B of this conference, I think tech has a very legitimate shot of being that, I guess, number two, but actually number three kind of, and team. you can also say, actually, you can also make a pretty compelling argument that Louisville and NC state have taken steps back because yep. of the amount of talent that they lost to the draft. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, agree. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say that the, the ACC is wide open. Like, don't get me wrong. I would say that there is there is a weakening at the top two. You're going to see more volatility in that top two in those top two spaces, and you can roll your dice on an any given Sunday kind of kind of deal against those two teams. I think that's completely feasible, more than it was in in, in 2020. Um, yeah. But Tech slid into that three spot um, in in 2020, and I want to see them stay there. Uh, that is my expectation for an ACC finish. Um, that like finishing in that three spot probably puts you into the tournament with a decent seed. Um, really for me, it's all across the board. It's seeding and seeding and tournament finishes. Like where do they, and like, where do they lose their last game? Right. They came real close to making the ACC championship this year. They only lost exactly five. Which and that's a team that and granted two years is a long time ago now but 2020 spring we we did not come off so it, again any given Sunday that there's there's that level of talent that I think you can say is there um, and third, to be fair probably a reasonable expectation and to be fair that NC that same NC State team or let me backtrack Tech was ahead in that game for a yep. good chunk of, it was ahead for a good chunk of that semifinal and faded late. Yep. There's arguments to be made that, that they can, that Delta between the late game quality of uh, NC state has, has gone away because of the, because of the WNBA draft. Uh, because I'm pretty sure both of the people that uh, killed tech late uh, were drafted into the WNBA. So again, I'm not going to say that tech is a top two in the ACC team, but they're a solid three. A solid, solid three. Yeah, I, uh, I would agree. I think in terms of games to watch for, teams to watch for, we already touched on NC State, Louisville. Uh, I think I've, you can't say enough that that UConn early season test. Granted, UConn, who really, really, really knows how much that regular season does translate to the postseason? But if they're looking good in that game, I think you can say that the the expectation for the ACC season can be set based off of of, of how that fares. If they or cover least- the spread, <laughs> if they yeah. cover the spread in that game, I think our our hype meters go a little wacko here. 
Uh, and uh, if you guys are interested out there, uh, tickets are very reasonable for <laughs> singles. So go, go, go watch. If you're going to go to one tech sport, if you're going to go to one game, there are, there's 8,600 seats in McCamish Pavilion. Make they sure should be full. Of them are you gone? <laughs> yeah. But no, but no, in, in terms of granted, we don't know any of the spring schedules. Uh, we don't know the swimming schedule other than we're hosting championships. We know football. We know volleyball now. We know men's basketball. And we don't even know all women's basketball. But I think it's pretty safe to say that that is the game to, to circle on the calendar, at least mm-hmm. before uh, the end of the, the calendar year mm-hmm. so, for any sport. All right. I think that leads nicely into talking about the conference as a whole. We did. We, I, I think we did a good job of talking about Louisville and NC State, but I want to I want to do the same rapid fire thing that we did last week with the rest of the teams in this conference. Are you ready? They're even listening same order too <laughs> well yeah you just copy the doc from last week and anyway not not important are you ready yeah let's go all right i'm not timing this but we're going rapid fire duke university blue devils tell me about them uh much like there was interesting uh press around their men's team for uh folding in the non-con slate uh the duke women's team due to covid and other concerns uh basically uh with uh, suspended their season, I think is the, the reasonable way to put that in the middle of last year. So I think it's a little bit hard to judge where they're at. Um, their coaching talent is, is very good. Their team is pretty consistent from what it was, but how that faces against 21, 22 Georgia tech, I, I think is a little bit harder to delve into without having, you know, you know, two years of data in between that. So mm-hmm. North Carolina, they're middle of the pack. I, I, they're, they're always fringy bubble, even top 25. Sometimes I believe last year, their highest poll finish was, uh, yeah, they received votes. Yeah. Fringy top 25 fringy bubble team. Tech always has trouble with them. Those games go deep. I, I think that's a reasonable place for them to expect to stay. Clemson. They're on the ups. They've been absolutely awful. For a really long time, we usually play them twice. Last year, we caught them a third time in the uh, ACC tournament. That was a close game. It went down the wire to beat them in our own building. Uh, they're not the, I guess, laugher type of game that it's been in the past. They have a lot of young talent. Uh, I think their coaching staff has done a turnaround job there. Probably more dangerous than usual. I don't see this as their breakthrough year yet, though. Mm-hmm. Florida State. Uh, well, they get their head coach back, so that's important. Um, they they were riding a crest, riding the wave, um, middle of the last decade. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily reasonable for them to expect to be, you know, top two, three, four, like they have been. Um, but again, this middle of the ACC, Tech can move up, so can a lot of teams. Florida State's one of them. Virginia also suspended their 2021 season. So we'll move on to Syracuse. Uh, I had some not nice words to describe their current situation in our document. So I'll just uh, mince those and say they're basically not a basketball program right now. Oh, they, no, 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 no. They, that's, that's accurate. They all like yeah. 11 scholarship athletes transferred out. Including one who's now on our team. So, uh, Woo. Um, coaches in hot water. They've been, again, towards the top of the ACC for a long time. They were uh, uh, in most polls for the first two months of the of the year last year before um, kind of folding towards the end. Um, I don't know. I, I think Syracuse, if they're not at the bottom of the pile, some other team has gone horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. They That coach is out. Hillsman is out. Uh, he either got fired or uh, resigned last week. Uh, I'm not sure which one. And, and we are not going to joke about that situation because this program has been in muddy waters all too recently. And that's not a, not, it's not an a, acceptable fun place to be. So it's a, it's not a haha funny allegations. We're, we're talking some not so fun stuff at, at all. Um, we talked about Louisville and North Carolina State. Tell me about Notre Dame. Notre Dame, um, uncharacteristically, 
not uh, elite last year. Uh, I think that was helpful for our window. Um, I, I think they're too good historically. They have too much of a name, too much of a, of a presence to be down bad forever. Um, oh, using millennial terms. That was honestly a mistake. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, we also went one and one against them last year, but both were on their home floor, which is one of, I, I get that it was COVID, but uh, that was how the schedule came out too. I, I don't really understand that one. Also, we got, there, there was one player whose name I can't remember, but I remember very, I think she was from Wisconsin uh, on her day that just absolutely killed us. Like she was, she was shooting the lights out of the arena, both games. And it like, the first one was very close. Tech was able to pull away late, but the second one was a battle from whistle to whistle. Um, and she was just really good. Yeah. Credit to her. I think they just barely made the tournament or they just barely missed the tournament last year. Yeah. They, they were ranked to open the season, but then, uh, fell off. I think they had the Notre Dame bump to start the season, quite honestly. Kind of Oof. the reverse of the Georgia Tech anti-bump by media polls, but... Bump up and bump down. Yeah, exactly. Um, what else we got? Uh, tell me about VT, Miami, and Pitt, which I imagine you'll have the same thoughts on. Virginia Tech was honestly in not terribly, terribly different of a perceived situation to us last year at least by the media another team that we narrowly beat honestly uh, we, we had a lot of two three four point wins um but uh I, I i think they're not all that scary they were they were fringy bubbly type team last year again i didn't see a lot to move the needle to, the, to that being different this is women's basketball we alluded to uh Parody being a weird thing uh, in this sport. At the top, it's very not uh, not equal, but in the middle, there's a whole lot of teams that uh, cause a whole lot of chaos. So they made the point. whole sport out of the ACC Coastal. Yes. Uh, tell me about Miami and Pitt. Um, Miami, honestly, I, I try to be nice to Miami. They were 8-10, and 10, so not terrible, um, but I don't know. They're they're pretty mediocre in the ACC. Most but they years. have home field now. Don't remind me. That's just sad. <laughs> and uh, then Pitt, Pitt was, uh, in a word, terrible. Uh, they were three and twelve last year. Uh, but I believe they beat us by five points. So perhaps I'm not allowed to say that. <laughs> in fact, yeah, they did. They beat they beat the sixty-five. There were a couple. There were a couple weird losses. We'll get to Boston College in a second. There were a couple weird losses late in that season that uh, should not have happened. Um, yeah, again, that's that's those three three game weeks running them ragged. But they made yeah. the entire plane out of the ACC Coastal. Tell me about Wake Forest. Uh, Wake Forest has more talent than an eight and 10 record last year in conference. They were pushing for, they were pushing for a tournament bid late. They, they almost, were racking uh, up wins. They almost beat Louisville. They only lost by two points and led most of that game. I think we watched that game together. Yeah, actually. yeah, yeah. But, they, they faded late. They faded extremely late. And then they went on the whole run to end it. That was going to like bring that them back. Have crescendo. It should have crescendoed and then it didn't. Yeah. Um, that would have been honestly one of the candidates for ACC game slash team of the year if they had pulled off much better than they did. But, uh, you know, I still think they keep a lot of that talent. So keep an eye on them. I actually disagree about the talent because two of their best players, uh, Ivana Ratza and Gina Conti, have left the program. So Wait, out? Conti, I thought Conti grad transferred. She's also not listed on the roster online. Um, so both of them are out. Well, maybe I got that was drafted, man. Bobby. Yeah, Ratza got drafted. Uh, I didn't see which team she went to, but she definitely got drafted. Uh, and then rounding out the bottom here, Boston College. We uh, beat the brakes off of them early in the year, 86-68. It was one of our most effective uh, scoring outputs of the entire recent memory, honestly. Uh, Georgia Tech scoring 86 is pretty pretty unusual but on the flip side in the next game we only scored 43 points exactly half as much and it was terrible it was on the road at the end of the year but it was it was awful they were 
it again, the three game weeks were just schedule congestion plus lack of rotation equals very poor fading performances towards the end of the year. Um, obviously we all know how the rest of the season worked out, but I, I think both of us are in agreement that Boston college is not a very good women's basketball program. Yeah, I, I think, well, I, I mean, honestly, if, if Georgia tech granted ifs, ifs and buts, candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Um, yeah, the, we, we won several close games that were probably closer than our, our talent level required them to be, if that makes sense. But at the same time, you know, the Boston College loss, the Pittsburgh loss, I think that means that a, a lot of those close, those close things kind of came out in the wash, you know, like that is life. That is, you know, you, you win a couple that are on the edge and it all evens you, out. So it all probably. evens out. That is the end of our women's basketball preview, I think, unless you have something else to add. Oh, that's it. I said all my words. He did say all his words, but only the ones about women's basketball. I hear you have other updates to give us. Yes, there is one last bit that was just so bizarre from yesterday that I feel the need to turn it into a podcast segment. And it is called Jake uh, Untitled Aviation Nerd Segment of the Podcast. Sponsored by no, no sponsor, but preferably one that's aviation related. Yeah, no sponsor acquired yet. Um, and on today's edition of how aviation is intersecting with our college sports, we have weird college football flights. And no, we are not talking about the, you know, chartered Delta Georgia Tech flies to Clemson or wherever. Actually, they probably take buses. Honestly, I don't know. I should ask. Tennessee, um, uh, Tennessee finds its new head coach on flight aware kind of deal. And I fly uh, and I fire up DO or the OAG or something like that. Anyways, for those of you looking to travel to away games, obviously we are blessed to be located uh, at one of the busiest airports uh, on the face of the earth. Second busiest officially now, because I think Charles de Gaulle is first. I thought Guangzhou, but I don't know. Um, anyways, Delta flies at literally a thousand flights to basically anywhere. Uh, but in case that wasn't enough, uh, you can also now take United to the Clemson game because for some reason they filed two round trips from Atlanta to Greenville Spartanburg International Airport at 8 a.m. Saturday and Sunday, the weekend of that game, uh, 8 a.m. being departure from Atlanta and Greenville. Uh, I don't know where the plane's coming from on the Atlanta end, but it is an extra turn from Houston rotating through Greenville. For all those people that just need to get from Greenville to Atlanta uh, Saturday morning that day. Um, yeah, and then the other one is Atlanta to South Bend. That one makes a little more sense. Uh, Delta is currently charging a lot for that, so maybe they'll make some money. It's out Friday night, back Sunday morning. Couldn't tell where the plane's coming from on that, though. And uh, you can ride a nice little lawn dart, a.k.a. the Embraer 145, up to South Bend. I Possibly did. Any I, of that made sense. <laughs> it did make sense. I did look up the prices yesterday. Uh, let's see if I can find them again. Stalling. I'm stalling. I'm stalling. 319 for the South Bend round. Yeah. So I think the United South Bend trip was 319. The same flight plan on Delta was around 400 bucks. Um, I didn't look at the Greenville ones because why would you fly to Greenville Spartanburg from Atlanta? when it's a two hour drive. And then you have to drive, rent a car or do something to get. Yeah. Cause it's like an Clemson. hour. Yeah. It's like an hour from Greenville to Clemson, isn't it? It's, it's not the, a, uh, don't fly. Don't, don't fly that. Unless you're flying in from like California. Don't, don't do that. But again, why would you be flying United over Atlanta? Uh, again, why are we unpacking this? If you guys like this stuff, I could go on for another hour on this. Don't. Let us know. We won't do actually do that because that would be dangerous. But uh, it's definitely interesting. The Notre Dame one makes sense. The Clemson one, maybe somebody else has other info, but definitely makes absolutely no sense. But uh, 
but yeah, this is this is the world we live in where they got to find the revenue somewhere. Also, uh, I guess planes don't do as much on Saturday because we've seen them even before the pandemic, but uh, even more so now in the last two years. So go figure. Woo. All right. Anything else before we log off? No, I, I, I it's kind of cool seeing us get a little of these weird attention like this and to be able to talk about a very interesting women's basketball program. And then we got the volleyball schedule, which we can, we'll probably spend an hour talking about that. God, I am so excited about that next week. I cannot describe how excited that schedule release made me for this volleyball season. Um, Yeah, that's all I got. Uh, That's all the excitement that you get. You get a nice little immediate crest right there. So yeah, tune back in next week. Um, Let us know if you like the format, considering it happened two weeks in a row, the segments, if you have other segments that you'd like to hear us talk about, let us know about that too. But with that, uh, from the rumble seat at gmail.com is where you can find both of us from the rumble seat uh, is FTRS blog on Twitter. I am Jake Grant 98 and you are. I have a Twitter account, but I'm not going to show for it. All right. Well, Fair enough. If you if you're so inclined, you can go find it, but I'm not gonna say it. Anyway, see everyone next week. Oh.